Welcome back to part two of my chat with Jason Glavin, the author of Going Places, Why You Should Travel. Last episode, we talked about the fortune in a fortune cookie, journaling for balance and mental health, and as an exercise for reflection in life and in travel. We talked about the changing publishing industry and the challenges and thrills associated with becoming an indie author. Join me as we jump back into the conversation with Jay as he talks about the future of his writing career, what he's currently working on, and get to know him a little bit better as he runs the gauntlet of the Written by Grimes rapid fire. Is he an over or under TP person? Let's find out. Let's jump back in with Jason Glavin. Okay, so you have mentioned a couple times that you have a toddler running around. Um, Have you given any thought to writing a children's book? Wow. I have certainly read a lot of children's books in the last year and a half. And you know what the interesting thing is when I think of children's book? I'm daunted on one thing because I see I'd I'd have to hire an artist because I never got past stick figures, right? Right. and it's probably a misconception. Sometimes people look at children's books and think, oh, that would, that's easy. I can throw that together in 10 minutes, right? You know, because it's 100 words long or 200 words long, right? Yeah. But when I read them and the really good ones, I'm, I'm kind of blown away, right? It's because they always say, know your audience, right? Well, your, your audience is a one-year-old or a six-month-old. So as an adult, how do you get into that headspace, right? So it's crossed my mind. I haven't really seriously considered it, but... Um, boy, that would be fun. Yeah. 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 I think that would really be interesting. Yeah. It'd be a great way to connect with my son too, right? Yeah, for sure. One of the, one of the reasons I wrote the book too was I, uh, very close to my niece who's nine years old and I, I wanted to do something that showed her that if someone can have a goal and if they work hard enough, they can achieve the goal. So yeah. that was one of my happiest moments when I, I gave my niece a copy of the book and I signed it and had a, <laughs> an inspirational message in the cover. So, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And the other thing that's wonderful about a book, almost from a legacy perspective, yes. right? You think about we only live X number of years on Earth. Well, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, you know, anyone further down the line, a perfect stranger 50 years from now might might pick up the book you know I'm, I'm long gone from this earth but there's something there that showed I you know I was here I contributed something and it's yeah it's kind of neat to think about yeah what that that's a great um, perspective on legacy well Mine's and sometimes wonderful. that whole legacy thing um, like you think about Moby Dick Herman Melville wrote that book and it wasn't even celebrated in his time right it wasn't until long after he was gone from this yeah. earth that it became this huge thing right and it's uh, well I mean I think about um, uh, Ghost at a Watchman which was written by Harper Lee she wrote uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird is Ghost at a Watchman And when she wrote it, so she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, written Ghost at a Watchman, put it in a safety deposit box, locked it away in the bank, she passes away. Mm -hmm. Her family comes across the manuscript and they realize that it's the sequel to this hugely popular book, you know, fantastic movie, um, curriculum for English students, and uh, they're like, we have to publish this book. 
but she had specifically said, do not, you know, please don't do that. I don't want anybody to know about this book. And there was all this buzz about Harper Lee's book. And of course, I was very excited about it. And the second that it became available, I bought it. And I read this book and I'm, I'm reading it. And I had said to myself, I understand why she didn't want anybody else to read this. It's a fantastic book. But the, the legacy of To Kill a Mockingbird would not have been the same had Gosetta Watchmen come out shortly after the publication. And that's an interesting thing that she understood at that time. She knew that immediately people were going to interpret it much differently. And the legacy of the story that need, that was told in, in To Kill a Mockingbird, that needed to be told in To Kill a Mockingbird, would have been uh, dimmed. Right. So. Wow. How forward thinking, though. Yeah. At that time, she had To Kill a Mockingbird out, and then she had this other book. She's like, no, this this isn't the right time. This this can't go out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm a voracious, voracious reader, and I have... You know, I have the list of my favorite authors and it's happened to me a couple of times where my, one of my favorite authors passes away and as a human, I'm sad. And as a reader, I am crushed. A yeah. few years ago, I discovered the the girl with the dragon tattoo yes. series, Steve Larson. Yes. And I ate up the three books that he wrote, loved it. And then I did look, I found out he had passed away, but he was planning to write 10 books. I practically cried. I was like, no. <laughs> and they've since brought on another author and they've written three more books. Now, the second author, the first book was eh, and the, but then the second and third book, he seems to have got into the spirit of right. Larson's writing, and, yes. and and that's another thing. I was listening to Anthony Horowitz trying to continue the James Bond series. He said, "I can't write as Anthony Horowitz. I have to write as Ian Fleming." Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Like you look at the the world through your eyes or my eyes, but you're asked to do a project where you've got to look at it through someone else's eyes. Wow, what a that challenge! Is it's so daunting to think about, um, and I'm a, a huge, or I, I was a huge uh, Tom Clancy fan, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's another one. Uh, when he passed away, it became Tom Clancy TM, and right. a bunch of these the Op Center uh, series came out, and they were written by these different authors, and yeah. I can't read these. Right, like, I, it's not the same, and and it's not supposed to be the same. I right. get that, yeah. but. I just I couldn't engage with the work. Yeah. And same thing with Robert Ludlum. Robert Ludlum wrote um, the Born Identity series. Right. It's a fantastic thrill ride, and it is absolutely nothing like the movie. I remember watching History on Film, and the the host was saying the only similarity between the Ludlum book and the movie with Matt Damon is the title. And I remember laughing so hard because it is absolutely true. The the three books in the Bourne uh, series that were written by Ludlum are Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum. A new author came in to continue the series, Eric Van Lusbader. Mm-hmm. Fantastic writer. He wrote Legacy, which is interesting that we're talking about Legacy. Mm-hmm. He wrote this book, The Bourne Legacy. That book was so true to the trilogy. Like, it, it matched. It worked. It was a continuation of the story. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he's under contract to now write these Bourne books. 
And then you get Sanction, Redemption, etc., etc., etc. And those books are patterned after the movie yeah. or the, the movies. And I felt so let down. Like they're exciting in their own right, right. sure, but it devolves into like a commercial assembly line, right? Exactly. And, it... and when something is done, it's done. And I felt Legacy was perfect. Leave it alone. But that's not how this consumption machine works, right? right? So they're like, oh, we need another one and another one and another right. one. And so you have, you know, however many Bourne movies. And then you have that Jeremy Renner movie. Okay. I think it was Treadstone. Yep. And then there was the Treadstone TV mm-hmm. show. And on and on and on. Ad nauseum. Until... The value behind it is gone. Your audience is gone. And it really loses all familiarity with the original product. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, your initial audience, I mean, the initial audience, particularly for the Bourne series, when they engaged with that movie, they realized this is not the book. I'm just going to enjoy this because Matt Damon is, you know, punching people out and (laughs) jumping through windows. And that's very exciting. But my mileage, my, my bandwidth for that runs out really really quickly yeah it just becomes another series right right and it's unfortunate that and you see this a lot in television um and i'm happy that it's it's not it's it's kind of coming away from this now where people are are willing to accept limited series i love how they call these things limited series now (laughs) yeah you gotta deal with it look for something else move (laughs) on yeah it's nothing good lasts forever. We all know that TV series that was fantastic for five or six years. And yet they continued on to Four season more season. Right, yeah. it was lost. The Hangover was a tremendously hilarious movie. I laughed for two hours. Mm-hmm. The Hangover 3 was, as the kids say, it was mostly cringe. So. <laughs> <laughs> mostly cringe. Yeah. That's awesome. They had, they had gone once too many times to the well. The second movie was quite good, but... By the third, it had run its pace. It, yeah. 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 And I mean, I don't think that money is a limited resource, particularly in Hollywood. So you have all of these talented writers all around you. There are two right here <laughs> who are producing fantastic content. Yeah. They're writing wonderful scripts. They're writing beautiful stories or writing really technical and and engaging books and you continually go back to that same old story because you're not willing to take the risk right and that's i mean it's sad for everybody it's sad for the consumer because we're like yeah we've seen this story already and it's sad for the writer because we're like we have this great story if you would just give us a chance yes so I, I find that incredibly frustrating. And how does that cycle begin with something new and novel and maybe kind of earthbreaking? And it's that successful, but as humans and perhaps as business people or accountants, oh, this was successful. Well, this is safe. I know it's going to be successful. And on and on and on it goes. Yeah. Whereas those new and talented works and authors are banging on the door desperately trying to get in. But yeah. uh, sometimes that has to fizzle out before they say, okay, let's open up the door and see what comes through next. I, I recall a, a conversation with my friend and screenwriter where he was talking about how you know you're sitting in these meetings with these execs and they're like oh i didn't realize all this good stuff was coming out of canada huh you know he's telling me this and i'm like what (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah 
there's there's a lot of talented writers up here. Yeah. Especially in this day and age. Like, there are really no geographical or physical barriers to seeing what's out there in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it just kind of blows my mind. That, yeah. And I get that the States is a, is a gigantic place. But, like you said, they're very comfortable with what they know. And they don't want to take that risk. Right. And that's something that... I could imagine as a writer, you have that first hit, right? Um, and then you go to write that second book, right? And that's always kind of, you know, I, I guess probably as, as indie authors, I won't speak for you, but my dream would be maybe to sell something big. and be. But then in a way that creates a whole other set of problems because that success is now sitting on your shoulder. Yes. Uh, you don't have that, like that first time where the slate is clean. You don't have that, you know your prior success or your expectations staring you in the face. So I imagine that creates a whole new set of challenges as a writer to work through. Yeah. And I mean, let's assume that after this podcast, everybody goes out and I encourage you to do this. Click on the link in the podcast description and get yourself a copy of this book. It's fantastic. So you're skyrocketed to success, but now you're the travel guy. That's right. But your next book is not about travel. Yeah. So how do you convince the people to buy your next book? Yeah. I mean, on the strength of the writing alone, people should just say, you know what? This Glavin kid, he writes a, he writes a darn good book. I'm yeah. going to pick up the next one. Yeah. And yeah, you should. Um, <laughs> you want to be able to attract as many people to your diverse material that you can provide for them right. as possible. Right. I, I can't imagine how it must have been for J.K. Rowling when she said, okay, if the Harry Potter series has run its course, I'm going to write fiction for adults or, or something else, right? Because people always thought of her as Harry Potter, right? And she had enormous success. So for her, she really puts herself out there, right? Maybe this book isn't well received. But then she's also has, she's fighting against this tide, no doubt from her publishers and, and from her fan. We want more of, of, of what, this thing. Of what yeah. has worked, right? Yeah. But she's reached as a as an artist, as an author, she's maybe reached that point where this has played itself out. I want to go over here now and, and challenge myself this way, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And that that's interesting too. Um, you know, when you're talking about changing your genre, if she decides that she wants to write for adults and, and she's writing fantasy for adults, at least she's still kind of in the same genre not the same marketplace mm -hmm. right so arguably you're taking your your harry potter fans as they've grown up into this new adult book and so okay you already have your your audience set we're just they've grown up with it now they're adults here is the thing that should appeal to you now that you've grown up if you are a person who writes in various genres that's also sticky too mm -hmm. because oh you're a romance writer what are you doing right. writing horror you're a thriller writer what right. are you doing writing romance right um or sci-fi to try to you know bring your audience with you to yeah. those different places is yeah. is challenging and a lot of people particularly and i don't know why this is people you know Despite the fact that romance novels sell outsell most genres it's incredible. Actually, my first job out of university was working as a library assistant. I mean, and you wouldn't believe, I can remember 
people, and it was it was always uh, females would come up to me, and they literally have both arms yeah. full of these romance novels. Yeah. Oh, they they sell like hotcakes. Yeah, in terms of if you wanted to. Uh, hedge your bets on making the most money in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say try to learn how to write romance. It's yeah, it's incredible. But the hate, the hate <laughs> on people have for romance yeah. writers is it's incredible. I um I follow a few romance writers on Twitter, and you would you would be shocked <laughs> with the amount of negativity in that space. Um, not coming from each other. They're a very, you know, supportive group within, mm-hmm. you know, in, in book Twitter, specifically romance book Twitter. Um, there's all these subcategories inside Twitter. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But when you see the ridiculous reviews that some of these folks are getting and just the, 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 the pariah of, right. of, Genre fiction. Well, first of all, genre fiction is... You don't want to write that. <laughs> and then, specifically romance, how dare you? But they make up the lion's share of yeah. the marketplace. I, I wonder if, if there's an element of envy or jealousy from other authors, right? I spent eight years writing this six-volume investigation and study of the Greek classics, and I sold 12 copies. Mm-hmm. And this other person writes this trashy romance novel, and they've sold 10,000 copies, right? So right. I, there's things I like. I don't always like to be pushed to the limits of my thing. Sometimes at the end of the day, I just like to sit down and just watch a goofy comedy, right? Yeah. And, and there there is a place for that in society, right? Sometimes you just need a release valve, an escape. Uh, this, this whole pandemic situation is certainly has brought that to the forefront. So as writers, we're trying to, different people can write different things because we have different things that we're trying to accomplish, right? right? Uh, A a 10-year-old child wants a certain book or a 40-year-old guy wants another book. Uh, Different interests, like it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big wide world, right? So, so there's room for everyone. And I think, you know, to that point, as a writer, I think it's dangerous to change what you want to write in order to try to write to the market. Right. You do not know right. what the market is going to do. To see people try to write that when that's not their natural inclination. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And I, sometimes you can spot it a mile away. It well, I mean, it's a recipe for it. disaster, yeah. right? Like Lawyers make a lot of money. I'm going to be a lawyer. Not all lawyers make a lot of money, right? So you can pursue that goal if you want to. And, and, you know, to that point, you and I know writing a book takes time and effort. You're going to just write this thing because you think that the market is going to, you know, is, is favoring that particular genre. What happens if by the time you hit publish, it's now... Vampires are out. Right. Now they like, I don't know, fruit. Yeah. Trying to trace chase trends is it's certainly in the financial world is a losing strategy. By the time something has become big, the money has been made and at that point they're just drawing in the suckers that are trying to 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 basically jump on before everyone else sells. It's yeah, I, I, I think with that model, um, there's such a, a great chance that you could look at your writing one day and not really even see yourself anymore yeah. or not really you you lose 
your passion, you lose your reason for writing. And if the reason most of us get into the writing in the first place is because of that passion to really explore and grow. That's, yeah, that's kind of a sad thing, I would say, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to extend the amount of effort required to do this right. to hedge my bets that yeah. this is how it's going to play out for me. Right. Oh, I'm going to be successful if yeah. I write, you know, the next Strawberry Shortcake right. loves Smurfs book. Right. I don't know. That's like <laughs> out there. And Why not? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe somebody's into that, but not me. And I'm not going to write that because I read some some trend report. And it's so funny because, you know, I, I write in several different genres and one of the issues I was having, I was writing in one genre, but I was having trouble. Like I couldn't, I couldn't make the story work and like I couldn't move past this one scene and I'm still stuck in it. It's sitting in draft over there somewhere. <laughs> like I just, I can't fix it. And a friend was asking me, you know, have the people moved on? Like, are they, have they gotten out of the hallway yet? Where are we on this? <laughs> right? And like, literally, that's where, like, that's where they are in the story. The characters are in the hallway, and I cannot get them out of the hallway. <laughs> and I'm like, I, no, they're still there. They're, they're, they've been stuck there for like a year, these poor people. They're stuck in the hallway. <laughs> and it, it occurred to me that the reason they were stuck was because I had shifted my genre, and I hadn't yeah. even realized it. But I started writing a romance right. in the middle of this thing, and I that's not what this thing right. is. And so now I'm stuck, and right. I don't know how to get out of this situation. And so I, I've had to leave it alone, and it's it's literally been sitting there for well over a year now. Well over a year. And eventually one day I, I will rescue these people from the hallway, <laughs> but it's not happening anytime soon. No, and, and I totally get that. When I first sat down and got serious about writing a book. I did the research. I thought commercially, where is it? So I, I looked at sci-fi. That's a big one. Maybe I haven't read a sci-fi book in my entire life. <laughs> that, that does nothing for me. I'm not, how do I think I could possibly sit down and go into this world and write something that connects with people? I don't even like it, right? That's, right. that's, that's, that's putting the cart before the horse, right? And some authors do write in different genres and they, have different pen names, right? Because yes. they decide I'm not going to try and market to... I mentioned Joanna Penn, uh, the British author. She publishes as Joanna Penn for all her books on how-to for writing. And then her historical uh, thrillers, she's J.F. Penn. Different websites, different looks, yeah. different audiences, different social media. And then I believe she may even write a bit of romance under a pen name, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's always that approach. 100%. And I, I am... Living proof in front of you today is Abigail Grimes. But those people that are stuck in the hallway, Casey Thompson is right. writing that. And she doesn't know how to get those people out of the hallway. And so Casey is on sabbatical at the moment. Right. And Abigail is here. Right. <laughs> so, But you're really building that up. I want it now. I need to know what happens to the I, people in the hallway. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're just going to have to wait. But I'm yeah, so excited that we're building suspense. There's one person waiting for this book. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's writing to trend is is dangerous, and it, it's it's really interesting that you you brought that expectation of success as a potential 
stagnation point for you. Oh, it is, yeah. So, do you have that fear now, as you're in the the, the murky middle of your new book? Um, are you concerned at all? Like, is that something that that's weighing on your mind to kind of slow you down a little bit? Um, I have compared to the first couple months where I was writing. Uh, it has slowed down quite a bit. There's maybe a couple reasons because having a toddler in the house, he's awake, you got to be on, right? So when he's sleeping, you try and sleep, right? And if I'm awake, I'm usually pretty much done. So there could be that. Uh, there could also be uh, the first 20, 30,000 words of the book just flowed out of me because I, I had essentially had done largely a data dump. I really... All my prior knowledge was was on the page yeah. and then I started to slow down because I'm starting to hit my circle of competence the outer walls now so now I'm, I'm I'm spending a lot of time researching as you know researching doesn't equate to a huge word count but for a non-fiction book it needs to be done before you can get down and start really hammering the words out you got to yeah. know what you're talking about obviously so so it's a little bit more of a choppy process uh, at this point for me, but I do know once I kind of move out of this research process, it should continue to flow on. Now, back to your earlier point, yeah, I've always considered myself an achiever. I've always kind of put pressure on myself. Um, I think it's a bit of a double-edged thing. I think that gives you motivation to, to get up and to write and to really do your best. Uh, after a certain point, though, it can put a break on it, right? Because then you're worried about the end result how it's going to be received and that can 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 push you into some writer's block right yeah. so sometimes it's i'm motivated i'm going to go for it and other times i start oh, where's this book going right and i don't know and when that happens for me i have to start thinking small because i find when i sometimes struggle in the writing process it's me trying to figure out the rest of the book all at once yeah and then i'll say you know what I just need to focus on what I'm doing right now. So the book I'm writing currently is about the subject of money. And this chapter I'm working on is on financial destinations, places in the world that have incredible wealth or they draw people for wealth. So recently I had had hit a block and I thought, you know what? I don't need to think of this whole book organically. I just need to think today about Las Vegas. Las Vegas is one of the financial destinations. So do my research thing. And then I thought, okay, you know what? That's a lot less daunting, daunting. topic. A few pages on Las Vegas is a lot less daunting than a 300-page book, right? Right. So I keep that mindset. I'm starting to feel better. I got my confidence again. And I'm kind of, it, it, it feels manageable, right? Yeah. So, so sometimes uh, as writers, you know, we hit those blocks or we feel overwhelmed. And I, I certainly don't have all the answers. Sometimes for me, it's take a break, go for a walk, maybe talk to someone about how I'm feeling. And, uh, you know, eventually it gets back on track. For me, for this second book, the first book I felt very, I wanted to get it out there because I wanted to be an author, right? right. I, I wanted to feel that status, that identity. And now I've done that and that's great. This time, uh, it's a little more open-ended. This time, my drive is to really create the best book that I can. Yeah. So for me, this time out, it's more about quality than rather than getting out there. So this one will probably have a longer time frame than the last one. And I think that's probably, that's probably going to be for the best. But uh, 
it's it's fits and starts, right? There's days and weeks where you're just flying high and you feel invincible and the yeah. words are just flowing out. And then there's other times you feel like you're walking in wet cement. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. little demoralizing. <laughs> I hear you. I, yeah. oh I mean, that's, you maybe not everyone wants to hear that if they consider writing, but that's kind of the unvarnished truth. But take it as an encouragement too, if you're starting out and you're hitting a, a, a point where you're struggling, that that's completely normal. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast recently where someone had been to a symposium that had uh, some of the world's most famous authors, like I'm talking about Dan Brown and, and, and some of those huge names sold tens of millions of copies. And someone stood up and said, even with all your success, even with all of the books you've written, the accolades, the wealth, the prestige, do you now, when you start a book, do you feel doubt about, is this going to be good? Can I pull this up? Every single hand on that table went up. And yeah. that was a huge who, right? And the, the conclusion I drew from that is that as a writer, self-doubt isn't a bug. It's it's basically a feature of being a writer. Yeah. And and it's it's part of what I think helps us to grow as people and investigate and really push our limits because we all know that person that is seemingly supremely self-confident. Yes. Even to the point that they're driving the car off the cliff, right? Right. They're still telling you, No, I know where we're going. This is gonna end and you know It's a thumb on Louise moment. Right, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So those people tend not to make the best writers because they don't push out of their their circle of competence or their knowledge and push boundaries. And I think that's what, what being a writer is is inherently all about. Right. And I, I think you kind of, you, you really kind of hit the, the nail on the head there. Self-doubt is, it's part of the package. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think you can, you can have, you wouldn't be able to experience the, the highs if yeah, you didn't exactly. have those, those yeah. lows. And I mean, it's uncomfortable. Sure. No, it's, yeah. But it's in those moments where you're like, uh, I don't know, where you kind of take a step back and you kind of reevaluate how did you get here? Right. What are, you know, what's the goal here? Right. And you're, you know, revitalized and you get back to work. Yeah. You know, you, you need those, you need those moments. And, and, and the fallacy we, we sometimes fall for in the modern developed world is this just complete focus on being comfortable, being safe, being happy. Yeah. We've, we've sometimes I think, and I fall for it too. We think if we're not happy all the time, we're doing something wrong. We or if this isn't somewhere. going yeah, well, yeah. we're doing something wrong. Yeah. No, you have good days and bad days. And like, how do you know what a good day feels like unless you have a rough day? How do you know what a very productive writing day feels like unless you have that day 47. where you get 37 words? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and so. yeah, and that thirty-seven word day, you, whatever brought you to be able to turn on the computer or pick up the pen and write those thirty-seven words, no matter whatever it was that happened that day, you got that done, yeah. and that is, I think, more of an accomplishment than writing five thousand words in a yeah. day. Because when you're writing five thousand words, something's flowing. Yeah. The magic is working. Feels fantastic, right? Yeah. When you are slogging and pushing and it takes you everything inside you to convince yourself to even sit down to do it yeah you get a sentence out you get a paragraph out and you know you can't anymore that's a huge accomplishment yeah you take it you say you know what it wasn't a great writing day but at least i wrote today yeah 
Exactly. And sometimes that's that's enough. That's, that's enough. That's it. Part of the reason I wrote a book was because I got the chart. I thought, um, I don't know if I can pull this up off yeah i don't know if i have what it but it's going to be fun to find out yeah i got nothing to lose let's let's forge ahead and see where this goes and you know what what a fantastic adventure to take yourself on oh yeah let's see i don't know and uh, it was funny when i when i first started doing this i like you started really young loved creative writing um and then i i gave it up for a bit um I had to focus on the real world, yeah. and uh, I it, it fell away from me for a while. And yeah. when that happened, like a piece of me was missing. Like that, right. I'm yeah. I'm naturally somebody who wants to tell a story. Right. So yeah. my poor family, they they put up with it, and I love them for it. <laughs> but uh, when I finally took that step to admit to myself and it was it's an interesting thing when you have that inside you but there's this also that thing that says no i nobody wants to read what i what i wrote (laughs) um i i'm not a writer i can't be a writer and then you just kind of get brave one day Mm -hmm. and you say you know what i'm gonna try i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and it's it's like putting on a, yeah. a comfy sweater that you haven't put on in so long. Yeah. yeah. This is me. This is what right. I want to do. Right. You remind yourself of who you are. Right. Yeah. And, and and one of the drivers for me that pushed me to that moment, like you said, where you just say, the heck with it. I'm just going to write. I'm done with the doubt. And I'm just... Uh, a few years ago, out of the blue... My mom was diagnosed with uh, terminal illness, right? Totally knocked me and my family on our backsides and mm-hmm. it, it was horrible those final months to watch just terrible and it tore us all up inside and the grieving process and it had been my first real deep experience with death yeah. someone close to me someone that I loved uh, but I came through that and it really finally not just logically but in my gut in my soul it made me realize yeah we've only got so much time here right yeah this could be my last day, my last year, whatever. I'm, what am I waiting for? Like, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing left for me to wait for. Let's, let's just get on with this. We yeah. just don't know how much time there is. We don't. Life is so unpredictable. That's part of what makes it so interesting. That's scary, uh, also no doubt. But I just got to get in there and do this. If I'm trying to figure out how to do this perfectly before I even do it, I'm never even going to take gonna that start. first step. It's not going to happen. So that for me, that was that was kind of a moment where I thought I I got and and I dedicated the book to my mom because you know I you know I miss her and that whole experience though I thought I I got to get on with this. I'm not you know I'm not doing myself any favors just sitting here stewing. Right? And what so. a wonderful tribute to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To say you know what she knew yeah. that I had this inside me. Yeah. I'm going to get on with it like right you said. exactly like there yeah. there there should be nothing holding you back to experience the true nature of right. who you are right yeah and for me it was actually it was a little bit of a spiritual experience the whole writing the book because in a way i almost felt like you know that connection with my mom was kind of coming through my writing right because yeah. she was obviously 
you know, such a, a primary influence through me growing up and through my life, right? Yeah. So it, it is a way that uh, other people can kind of live on through you. And and after I'm gone, if I've got X number of books, you know, in a way that I can still kind of live on, right? Yeah. So that's wonderful. Isn't that great? Yeah. And I, I really loved what you wrote about your mom in the book. That, you know, and and how it had to do with writing as well. Yeah. That yeah. was. That was really, really wonderful. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. You got you got to read it for yourself. But it was very touching. And um, and how that ties into travel as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how wonderful. It's amazing how you can make things connect. Yeah. 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 So um, you're, you're mentioning um, that your next book is about money. Right. What inspired you to write about money? For me, it was largely personal interest so at first you think money rich people making money i'm doing just fine i'm not i'm not a wealthy person though i feel like for someone to write a how-to book you have to have done it right? right so this is more of a a bit of a middle class sort of lay person outsider look at it but i just find the whole subject of money so fascinating because it really is the oil that lubricates modern society. Even if you don't consider yourself materialistic or you don't even really like the topic of money, you know, we all, most of us have to get out of bed in the morning to go to a job. We go to the grocery store, we drive our cars. This whole complex system is, you think about it, seven or eight billion people. It's, it's what helps it keep going. So for me, the subject of money, there's just so many different things I'm investigating, like the history of it. You go back to the first coins being minted in Asia Minor, people bartering, you know, things like seashells becoming currency and all the way to the modern financial system, the psychology of money, why we do what we do. Uh, particularly interesting chapter for me is all about scam artists and scoundrels, the, the things that people have done yeah. over... People like Charles Ponzi, you know, the Ponzi scheme, Bernie Madoff and everything in between, you know, the topic of what is wealth for people, you know, not it just being currency, but, you know, being half healthy, having friends, having fulfillment. It's, oh, yeah. it's, yeah, I'm finding myself going in so many directions on this topic, right? That actually the challenge is kind of reining it all in and having a, a cohesive whole, but it's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, I, I tend to write about what I what I find interesting and what I like to learn about personally. So, it's interesting that you you just made that comment about um, reining yourself in. Yes, you made a comment in your in your book, Going Places, about scope creep. Yes, and how you know you you can dream big, but you gotta have to. Yeah. Bring it in a little bit when you're actually doing the the finite planning of things. Exactly. Yeah. So you you just touched on how you acknowledge that for the book that you're writing right now. Mm -hmm. Did you have a hard time with going places with regard to scope creep? Like you've travel you've done a lot of traveling. You've been like everywhere. How did you decide? what you were going to write about. I'm sure you've had like oodles and oodles of experiences. How did you choose the ones that you chose right. to write about? Right. Great question because as an author, you you can't be all things to all people. Right. Or else you end up being nothing, right? You're, right. It's like trying to ride a horse in every direction at once. You're not going to get anywhere. So, um, well, when I thought about what 
what do I really need to focus on? I obviously had my experience that I wanted to share, but the whole theme of that book of going places was the idea that travel is for everyone. It's there, it's available. We won't all get the same things for it, but I'm a firm believer that there, there's something good for all of us to come from exploring, even if it's just going to the next town over, right? So I tried to think of it from that perspective and I wanted it to be a bit of an encouragement, especially for someone who maybe hasn't done uh, much traveling. So for me, the book was written in more of a mindset for someone who really wanted to travel but didn't didn't really know how to get into it, didn't mm-hmm. know what they were gonna have to deal with. So it was, I would say it was part biographical, part informational, and it was also had a how-to element. I wanted people to, to come away from the book saying, wow, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to go somewhere. Yeah. So I wanted the book to be a springboard to people getting out there and traveling and seeing the world. So, um, I'll yeah. let you know when I book my next trip. Absolutely. Because clearly it was directed to me. <laughs> Abby, get on the plane. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, when you told the world about your book on Facebook, I saw it pop up on my feed and I was very excited for you. And there was a comment in, in the thread that said, um, there was a particular teacher who would be so proud of you. Oh, right. Yeah. Who's that teacher? And what Uh, did they teach? Mr. Waters. Cliff Waters is his name. He was my geography teacher. Oh, wow. And my gosh, in high school. So I'm thinking like grade 10, grade 12. It was actually a classmate of mine that that made that comment. And um, yeah, so he got me really interested. He really, especially in my final year high school, really tried to uh, introduced me to the concept of, of critical thinking, um, not taking things at first glance, really diving in, really exploring. Um, and that could be specific to geography, but to the world, right? To to question, to look at the upsides and downsides of things and to really push yourself. And so uh, there was the whole aspect of geography that I think came in in the book, but there was also that aspect that he helped teach me about uh, you know, exploring the unknown and, and kind of pushing past perceived limitations. So, so yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was a nice moment, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you see that very clearly in your book when you talk about um, the different uh, histories of, of certain areas when you're, when you're discussing, you know, you're going to go to this place or there's, there's this area of the world that you might not know a lot about but here's just kind of like a snippet of how we got to, or how they got to this point in modern history. And I really kind of like that step back and contextualize moment. I thought you did a really, really great job with that. Thank you. All right, so Rockhopper Press is the name of your publisher. Yep. Was that inspired after the Penguins or is that a happy coincidence? No, that, that definitely has a link to the actual penguins. Uh, my wife and I are penguin crazy, specifically the rockhoppers. And the rockhoppers only live in one part of the world. And I wrote about it in the book. It's, it's in the Falkland Islands, which is a very interesting place. It's this tiny island near the bottom tip of South America, a few hundred miles off the coast. 
but it's completely British. It's been a British uh, overseas territory for a couple hundred years. You go there and it's like, you almost feel like you're going back in time. You know, everything is proper British and the, the, the architecture and everything. Very interesting place to, to, to travel to. It's this windswept island in the South Atlantic. The, the weather is far from pleasant. It's like that year round. But to go there, you, you got to get down there, which is not easy. And then you got to um, uh, get one of the locals to drive you out for an hour or two on these rolling hills and it's up, down, left, sideways. But that moment we got onto the cliff looking over the Atlantic and we saw these rockhopper penguins kind of strutting about and in their natural habitat. It was a wonderful moment. And so when I, th- when I think about writing and I think about passion, that scene comes in my mind. I, so when I decided to create a name for my publishing company, that was it, Rock Opera Press. I just love the, the of name course. of it. I got to create a logo too. So. That's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> We've been chatting for a while and uh, I'm going to let you go soon. <laughs> but uh, I, I did want to do... A rapid fire with you. All right, let's do it. All right. I made a mistake last time, and I asked the question why after my uh, guest gave their answer. I will not do that <laughs> to you this time. All right. So, <clears throat> very quickly, Jason Glavin, city or country? Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Country all day, every day. I grew up on a hundred acre farm. The dirt, the soil, the crops, the trees, the open space. It's in my blood. Love traveling to the city, you know, concerts, sporting events, that sort of thing, cultural activities. But at the end of the day, I just love coming back to, yeah, it, it's part of who I am. Wow, I did not know that you grew up on a hundred acre farm. <laughs> yes. Wow. It's that's a different amazing. way to live. It's a great way to live, though. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, I know that I said that I wouldn't ask any questions. <laughs> Here we go. But now I have a question about that. How come you didn't become like a dairy farmer or something like that? Why did you? Uh, you know, I love the atmosphere of living on the farm, but I never felt pulled to the actual business of farming, if that makes any sense. Okay. Part of it was we talked earlier about book smarts versus hands-on. I think I was just really into intellectual pursuits, not so much you know, dealing directly with the environment, with the earth, though I love, and it's why I, you know, love where I live right now, some open spaces, trees, nature, that's, so I feel like I've kind of brought that to my current life, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Okay, I I won't make the mistake again, (laughs) she says, with her fingers crossed, (laughs) behind her back. Uh, See the future or change the past? Wow. I think see the future and I lean more towards that because oh to change the past wow what a responsibility that would be because you change one thing and it could create so many unintended consequences so I would worry that I would create all those like if I was there to stop um, Lee Harvey Oswald from killing JFK at first glance maybe that's a brilliant thing but maybe somehow that led to World War Three, right? So I don't know that just the, the responsibility in that would be would feel too great. Um, wow, seeing the future. I mean, in one way that would be thrilling and in another way it would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, I would choose to see the future. Maybe it would help. I could prepare a little better. So. <laughs> Maybe. 
Um, on that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald JFK situation, if you are interested in, in playing out what that might look like, check out Stephen King's 1122 30, uh, 63. Wow, okay. Fantastic uh, alternate history book. Okay. It's very entertaining. Wonderful. All right, spring or fall? Spring. I love the fall, but to me, spring has so much promise and so many things to look forward to and I love the summer so it's like this it's almost like this boundless horizon and I love seeing you know trees come to life after that dead dormant period of winter trees come to life you know animals coming out of their burrows listening to the birds whereas the fall is a pleasant time but I know what comes next right so there's a little you feel that first little chill in October or November and you think oh it's yeah, I'm going to have to use my snowblower soon. It's, uh, it's, yeah, yeah. Spring for sure. Uh, appetizer or dessert? I know you're not a foodie. But I figured <laughs> I'd throw this question in anyway. I would say dessert. I don't eat dessert that often, but when I do, I, I really go gung-ho. Like, I love the... I was so excited when they opened the first Cheesecake Factory in Canada oh, yes. at Yorkdale in Toronto. So, yes. Yeah. Even right now, my mouth is literally... <laughs> Mm, Uh, okay and I'm fairly certain I know the answer to this question but early bird or night owl oh early early bird hands down yeah I love going to bed early and then waking up feeling fresh you know coming up with the sun feeling the energy I actually was a shift worker for a couple of years rotating between days and night shifts and it was it just killed me. I yeah. I don't know how people can stay up in the night. And I was, yeah, I was on shift work for about a year. And it, I remember my doctor looking, going for a physical, looking at my numbers. He said, you know what, you got to get off shift. This is not doing anything good for you. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Early bird all the way. That's fantastic that your doctor was so attuned to yeah, what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to leave the most controversial question to the end. But <laughs> what is your favorite song from childhood? Favorite song from childhood? And I'm wow. going to make childhood quite broad um, from like high school all the way down. Okay. Wow. I'm not really a musical person, so this is... You know what the most interesting thing that just came to my mind, and it has to do with my writing, was when I was in grade six or seven, my, this is hilarious now that I think of it, so we're talking like 1991 thereabouts, right? I won a writing contest, and my teacher, the prize was the teacher was going to go to whatever, Sam the Record Man, and buy a cassette of whatever music he wanted, right? Do you know how nostalgic those two things Sam the record man and a cassette tape yes go on so I really didn't because I wasn't up on so I went and I asked my brother Brad I said who should my older brother who should I get he said oh get vanilla ice he's huge right now no word of a lie just you say that's what I I had my headphones on my Sony Walkman listening to Ice Ice Baby and whatever else was on there so yeah I don't know if that answers your question that's amazing uh, yeah (laughs) somehow I connected it to writing too so (laughs) you're firing on all cylinders yes (laughs) um name something you love but everyone else seems to hate wow 
something that I love that everyone else seems to hate. I've got it, and people are going to think I am crazy. Going to the dentist. What? No, hear me out on this one, Abby. We're not in our house. Uh, we've got like a streaming, like a Roku or whatever. So my wife and I will watch shows in the evening. <laughs> but every once in a while, I miss cable TV, right? Right. Well, the dentist, it's this wonderful office where he's he's got a big flat screen in front of you if you're sitting up. And he's also got a big flat screen looking down on you. So when you're in the chair, you can keep watching your show. One of the things I miss about um, not having cable is HGTV. The whole, I love watching home shows. I find looking at houses fascinating, real estate. I go there and I I could be in the chair for two hours and I'm happy. I'm just binging on, you know, house hunters, right? So <laughs> sounds completely wacky, but that's it. Yeah. Going to the dentist. Going to the dentist. Yeah. I, I never would have. You probably, you could do a thousand more of these podcasts and I guarantee you will not get that answer. I am sure you are right about that. That's amazing. <laughs> what is your most treasured possession? Wow. My most treasured possession. Um, I suppose we're, we're talking about inanimate objects because obviously my thoughts first... Well, they're not possessions, obviously, but most important things to me being my family members. Um, possession. Wow. Trying to think of a memento from from traveling or, or maybe something from from earlier in my life. Uh, something that I, I was just talking about and looking at it yesterday actually was came from, so I, I do very much value it and it, it means a lot to me was uh, several years ago I was in Vietnam and I went into this shop that builds replicas of ships, handmade, just gorgeous. And some of them were massive, like I'm talking the size of a room. There was a replica of the Swedish uh, ship, the Vasa. And it literally, you would need a room that was like 10 by 10 to fit this thing. It was like six feet tall. Well, I'm looking and I found they had built the Blue Nose. It was about three and a half feet long, about three feet high. I I have to have this. So I'm in Vietnam. I can't bring this thing back in my suitcase, right? So I had it shipped by sea mail. Uh, We got home, I believe, in February that year. This thing, it was months and months, and I couldn't track it. And I thought, oh, that, whatever, it got tossed overboard or left at a port somewhere or customs shed. It showed up about four or five months later. Later, I got the notice from the local store. Went, love it, right? And I've got it in a spot. The strange thing, I value it so much, and I think it's so beautiful. I still haven't figured out a place to put it. It's actually in the unfinished section of my basement, you know, in a corner there. Now that I got a toddler, I can't really have it down and accessible. So the irony of it is it's a very valuable possession. Three or four years later, I still haven't figured out an optimal way to display it. (laughs) You have to have it certainly high enough now that you have a toddler. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, that would be challenging to find that, you know place in your home where you walk past it every day and you just kind of are awestruck yeah. every once in a while and you look over there yeah that's amazing okay if you could give yourself one piece of advice your younger self one piece of advice what would it be writing related or just life advice don't be so hard on yourself mm. that, that came to my mind like that 
I wish I could go back in time and give my younger self a hug and tell him it's it's going to be okay. Yeah. I was very, very hard on myself in my late teens and early 20s, put a lot of undue pressure on myself to succeed in school or whatever. I, and it, it really, it took a toll on me and it took to get to a, a certain age where I realized, you know, um, you don't have to be the best at everything, right? You can, it's okay to not, to try something and not be good at it or be okay at it. it that's That's part of learning and growing and there's so much more to just achieving right there's connecting with people there's enjoying being alive there's being grateful for what you have yeah. so so that that actually would be a message to my younger self it'd probably be a message to most of the listeners right yeah, yeah we all tend to be our harshest critics so yeah don't be so hard on yourself yeah. it's definitely something that you have the opportunity now to instill in yourself exactly yeah, yeah. so okay now we've come to the most controversial question in the getting to know you rapid fire. Okay. Jason Gladden, toilet paper, over or under? Oh, that's easy for the over. I never understood the Thank whole you. under thing. I find it harder to get to. And also your hands are not exactly at their cleanest state. So I'm thinking, oh, my hand's going to bump into the wall. Or, no, I over to me, it's just, yeah, I never understood the under thing. And I, judging by your, your, your body language, I think we're on the same page yeah, here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I cannot understand yeah, the under. Yeah, we're, we're an over household. And on a the couple of occasions that my wife has put it under, that that just can't stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, the next time she goes in, it's, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Ke- <laughs> Kevin's done that one time. Exactly one time. Yes. I'm like, nope. You do it one. You do that again. Yes. Sorry, yep. you're sleeping outside. One of the one of the philosophical battles of our time. For sure, yeah. <laughs> Toilet paper yes. over our underwear. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason Glavin, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me on on the uh, podcast. Um, everybody, get yourself a copy of Going Places: Why You Should Travel. The link will be in the podcast description below. Check out Jay on his Instagram and be sure to visit his author page on Amazon. Both links will be in the podcast description below. And we will be waiting to see the launch of Jay's author website. And uh, I'm sure he'll let you know on Twitter because you will be following him at that point what his uh, web address will be at that time. So Jay, thank you so much for coming. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Abby. It's been wonderful any time I can sit down and and talk about writing and the creative process with a fellow author is 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 just a blessing so yeah as a as a writer as a friend it's it's been a blast thank you abby thank you Be sure to click the link in the episode description to get yourself a copy of Jason's book, Going Places, Why You Should Travel. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook.